There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Conversations with Annalisa Barbieri. That's me. I'm a broadcaster and journalist, and my Ask Annalisa column appears in The Guardian every Saturday. Each week, I'm lucky enough to speak to some amazingly insightful, top-of-their-field specialists, and this podcast gives me the opportunity to speak to them in much more detail on subjects that come up all the time. I self-fund this project, and I'd love to continue to do more, so if you'd like to support us and also listen to this podcast series free of ads, do join us over on Patreon, where you can also get the podcasts before they go on general release. Go to patreon.com forward slash Annalisa Barbieri. Otherwise, you can leave a one-off donation on ACAS Supporter. You can find the link for that in the description of this episode. Or just please listen and share as much as you can. It would also mean a lot to us if you left a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. The desire to motivate your child and the fear of what will happen if you don't is often a strong undercurrent in parenting conversations. But what if I told you that the best way to motivate your child was perhaps not what you think? It isn't about extracurriculum activities or reward charts or bribes. It's not even about vacuous praise. All of those things have a shelf life. And whilst they may work for a while, they don't work long term. And perhaps most importantly, they're often not about what the child wants, but what the parent does. Inevitably, there will be a rebellion if this is the path you go down. In this episode, I talk to psychotherapist Graham Music. Graham is accredited with the UKCP and the Association of Child Psychotherapists. He's written various books. His latest, Respark, Igniting Hope and Joy After Trauma and Depression, is a truly remarkable read. Despite the subtitle, your child doesn't have to be traumatised or depressed for you to find lots in it that's helpful. At times, I found it a bit mind-blowing. I really recommend it. Not least, unusually for most psychotherapists writing books, Graham puts a bit of his own life story in there, which adds a great richness to it. So what do we talk about here? Well, the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. How to motivate your child by finding out what they're really into and supporting that interest. Something that is both really easy and incredibly difficult because we often underestimate what children want or need. We discover why failure, something we all seem to fear so much, is actually vital to help children develop 
And we talk about why daydreaming, something I was really good at as a child, is vital. Tell that to the legion of teachers who told you off as a child for staring into space. So Graham, welcome to the podcast. And can I first say that your books, which I have been dipping in and out of, are so incredibly rich. You know so much that I'm a little bit intimidated about talking to you. Oh no. But now, we, but, but now I'm going to drop the adulation and say that you introduced me to the concept of how you can't really motivate children extrinsically, only if they are intrinsically motivated. Explain what you mean. Okay, well, they're big words that we don't really need. And I'll take back something of what I said, that we can motivate people extrinsically. And what extrinsically means, basically, is external. So you might reward a child with a toy or a star or something if they've done something you approve of. And that will be a motivation, but the motivation will be to get the reward and the approval. So that, in other words, the reward is from something outside the self rather than inside the self. And those kinds of rewards only work for a short period of time. They only work while the child wants the reward or the approval or the star. It's the same with our work, that if we are only working in order to get praise or to get a pay rise or to get a particular extra thing, we will be motivated to get that thing and then we will stop. And I think what we want is children who are fascinated, interested, curious and moving towards things that they want that they, rec- they can recognise inside themselves. That would be an intrinsic motivation. It would be, I really want to do this because it's so interesting or exciting or um, it just, I have something inside me that is driving me towards that. Are star charts or other reward-based things a bad idea? No, definitely not a bad idea, but I wouldn't want to think of our children as being raised in order to get these extrinsic rewards primarily. So if we go back a few steps... What a child really wants in life is good connection, good relationships, the love and approval of the people around them, to be able to get on well with them. And that is the primary motivation. So, for example, even a baby will turn towards the sound of its mother's voice or actually from birth will crawl towards its mother's breast if it's just laid on its abdomen. And there's a kind of inner drive towards that. And... What we want is somehow to be able to develop that. Now, of course, sometimes needs must. So we've evolved to try to raise children to fit into whatever culture they happen to be born into. So inevitably that you're going to signal approval or disapproval. And if a child trusts you and loves you and cares about what you think, they will try to fit in with your expectations. But that is only a part of parenting. And it's not enough in a way so of course there's many fantastic uses of things like rewards and punishments stick and carrot that you praise good behavior and you maybe just either ignore or even sometimes punish things that you don't think are a good idea they work but what we want is a child who is motivated by more than that there's some wonderful experiments where an actor is walking across the room and there's a toddler sitting on its mother's lap and the actor pretends to drop something and is looking around for this object. And most toddlers from about 14 or 16 months old will get up and find this thing and pick it up and give it to the actor and they will both have a big beaming smile and there's pleasure in the activity. 
What's really interesting is that these toddlers will do it time and time again. But if you change the experiment, whereby the experimenter then rewards the toddler with, I don't know, a coloured toy or a star or something like that, they actually don't do it again the next time or the time after that. Because, again, the motivation has become extrinsic. There's something about extrinsic motivation that can trump the internal desire, but is not the same kind of motivation. So why does it kind of run out? Why do you become fatigued with extrinsic motivation or the rewards that it brings? Well, because living a life which we think is... For others? It's not, in a way, it can start with other people, but there's a way in which, if, you, if you've ever seen a child who's immersed in play or immersed in an activity, then they don't need to worry about what other people are thinking about them. They don't even necessarily know what's motivating them, but they are completely immersed and interested and fascinated and they just want to stay. And there's a whole motivational system to do with being driven by something inside ourselves that is so vital. In fact, the famous Harry Harlow, who was best known for the experiments with monkeys where he found that the monkeys wanted to cling to a cloth, a pretend cloth mother rather than a wire mother which had a bottle. Mm -hmm. That was what he was famous for. He was famous for the fact that actually most primates, including humans, want comfort and love and care. But before that, he discovered that, I think they might have been macaque monkeys, but that they were motivated by doing puzzles which were left in front of them. And the monkeys that were given rewards for doing these puzzles stopped doing them But the monkeys who weren't given rewards and just found interest in the activity, they carried on doing them and doing them and doing them. And so I think we're living increasingly in a world in which parents, because we get anxious as parents, as adults, we tend to have all kinds of quite high expectations on our children. And that might be filling up their lives with extracurricular activities like, I don't know, gym classes, ballet classes, Kumon maths, music whatever it might be. And so they have very, very, very little time just to be with themselves and to find out what they are interested in. And I think there's a real problem there. Why? Because A, they pick up our anxiety, and B, because they are, in a way, the motivation is not coming from inside themselves. So they'll do things to please others, but actually they're they're often less interested in it. What we want is to be able to be with children, listen to them, give them attention, which is what children want more than anything, and help them find what motivates and interests them. So if you find something that's interesting to a child, then you can help facilitate it. You help put it in front of them. You help them develop those interests. But if it comes from something inside them, it's a really, really different thing from if, right, you're going to maths today and now you're going to gym class and now you're going to your violin lesson. And they are then responding to our expectations, often our anxiety. And we've got a generation of kids who are incredibly anxious, who are having all kinds of quite serious psychological mental health problems. Anxiety is a big, big one. Depression is another one. Because, in part, because they don't feel that they are in a way, enough in themselves. There's always something else that has to be done. And I think a lot of that comes from us, understandably as parents, feeling anxious and feeling pressure. And that pressure then gets pushed down onto the kids 
And I think it's exactly the same actually in the school system where there's such a pressure for performance, for showing learning outcomes, for getting good Ofsted results, for being better in the league tables, that actually just paying attention to a child's desire to learn becomes a much, much smaller part of what goes on in schools. I mean, I agree with what you're saying. And obviously the school system is what it is. And it has, it's a kind of, I wouldn't say one size fits all. I think teachers really try, but there isn't time for that individual attention. And so I can understand how children are forced to learn stuff that it's not interesting, you know. But within the fact that most people go to school, how can we help our children find out what they like and because on the one hand they've got this curriculum that they have to follow if they want to do well do well in inverted commas and on the other hand we know that actually we want to encourage them to find out what interests them so how can we marry the two or make the best of them i think it starts much younger i think it starts in infancy and early childhood toddlerhood and there's been a culture in which children have been pushed from really early on, even prenatally, you know, baby Mozart and th- those mm-hmm. kinds of things. So there's an expectation that everything we do is for something else rather than for its own sake. And so children are losing the idea that actually they can have attention paid to them and they can pay attention to other people and they can follow their interests and they can follow their play. And if they pick up a bunch of toy animals and the horsey does this and the the lion does that, that that might be interesting enough in its own right. And I feel sad for many of the teachers these days who actually struggle to trust their own intuition and actually just being empathic because everything has to have a learning outcome. It's not just Mm. that's interesting, but actually what colour is that horsey and how fast is it going? And all of those sorts of things can get in the way of just being present in the moment. And I mean, I won't tell you how long I've trained as a psychotherapist, but I think sometimes the things I've learned that have been most helpful are really simple. How to be present with a child, how to speak with them, let them know that you're paying them attention, show that you're curious in what they're thinking, what they're doing, not put our agenda in there too much before it's necessary. And often the best advice I've given parents is just spend 10 minutes a day with your child at home. Just follow them, just be interested in them. And I can't tell you how often parents come back and say, well, it's amazing. I didn't do anything. And also how hard it is not to tell them what's right and what's wrong. Mm. So if you think about it, what a kid wants is to be able to have, well, kids want loads and loads of things. But one is you want to have a sense of agency. You can have an impact on the world. So, for example, relatively newborn babies, you can measure how fast they suck on a teat. And then you can wire up the teat so that actually when they suck a little bit faster on the bottle, their mother's voice comes through a loudspeaker, or the same if they suck a bit more slowly. And it's incredible that these little, little babies learn to suck faster when inadvertently they they discover this thing, because they want, what they want is human contact, they want communication, they, they want the things that make them feel good. That's the big driver in life to start with. And we neglect that at our peril, if we've always got an extrinsic motivation. Why? Why do we neglect it out of power? What would happen if we ignored it? Because then you get a reactive child who constantly wants to please the adults, but actually they don't have a confidence in their own ability to be genuinely motivated and genuinely care. You know, if the baby crawling to the breast 
it's not interested in the in the extrinsic reward. It's interested in the in the physical contact, the breast. It's interested in the emotional contact. It's interested in the eye to eye contact. Those are things that feel good in themselves. And what we want is to live a life in which things feel good in themselves. And the extrinsic reward will create some kind of motivation. But it's a very, very all the research is utterly clear about this. It makes it superficial it kills off the long-term interest and motivation it's the research is quite clear even actually in big companies that if you reward people purely on to, in terms of performance they start lying about their performance they start doing things to prove things to other people but actually their genuine interest and curiosity gets killed off well not forever though what we're talking about is creating a world a society in which people feel safe enough to be able to pursue interest goals things that they they care about. I'm coming across time and time again now, children, not just children who've come from backgrounds of trauma and abuse, although that happens a lot, but kids from relatively secure backgrounds, at least financially, materially, who do not know how to play, who cannot play symbolically. They don't play with dolls or animals or play, play make-believe because that is not something that can be taught. That's something that comes from having a kind of internal sense of safeness and ease and trust that the world is okay and interesting and curious. And that gives rise to these extraordinary capacities, which I feel are are just not developing in the children that I'm seeing these days. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Surely there's people in a job who are motivated by praise or money. If they went to another job where things were different, 
they could get back that intrinsic motivation. But I think if I've understood correctly, what you're saying is there are certain elements that if they're not developed early, may not develop to their full potential. Yes, that actually what we want in life is to be interested, to be curious, to be able to have good relationships, to have safe connection, to feel safe, and then to be able to spark into life. That sparking has to be a true sparking. It has to feel like, yeah, I'm really alive and I love this. So I don't know what you're like. Well, I do know what you're like a little bit, Annalisa. And I know that you're interested and curious in loads and loads and loads of things. And that that's never ending. And isn't that one of the most exciting things? And, and don't you want your child to stop and look up at the sky and say, wow, look at that tree or look at the earth and see all the ants crawling and be utterly amazed by it. And instead, we end up dragging them along because they've got the next activity. And that, for me, is a kind of tragedy. But I suppose if people are listening and they think, because they think that giving their children opportunities, and often I hear people saying they've got getting opportunities I never had. If they are taking them to dragging them to activities and they're listening to this, it's not too late, I suppose, is what I'm saying, or, you know, to maybe do things differently. Yeah, I'm not even saying don't take them to activities, of course, and I'm certainly not saying it's ever too late. What I'm saying is that I think part of the the motivation, obviously, is because you want to give your children the best chance. And we're living in a horrendously competitive world at the moment, and there's a lot of anxiety. And there's a lot of anxiety between parents that that actually goes unacknowledged, a lot of competition, I think. Mm. Even in baby groups, there's competition, who's feeling the best, that kind of thing. I think in that there can be a lack of confidence about how important a parent is to a child that actually sometimes you do so much more good by just stopping and having a cup of tea and just spending time with your child and being with them in their interest and curiosity, watching those ants with amazement, looking at the stars instead of dragging them from activity to activity. And what's important there is not just the things they're interested in, but actually you're interested in their interest. You're interested in their mind you're interested in their feelings you're interested in what they care about and I can say honestly hand on heart time and time again I've seen children in therapy who come from very complex backgrounds sometimes serious abuse and trauma but sometimes just haven't had enough of the good things that you need to grow a mind heart and soul if you like and it's at that moment when they start when they first show an interest and a curiosity and you have to sort of not grab that moment but you sort of have to bracket it and shine a spotlight on it and say wow so I remember one kid in a therapy room who was really just he would kick and act out and said it was boring and he hated me and and one day he came in and he turned the light on and I noticed him just look up and I said wow you just looked up what was what did you notice he said well the light it went sort of pinkish I said wow you've noticed the light's gone pink and then we could talk about the fact yes he's got a mind that can begin to notice things now that it can be interested and what he needed was my interest in in his interest and that began to develop space in his mind space in his being and it was the first step towards him being able to play with toys and being able to communicate and interact and otherwise he was so sort of full up with a particular kind of anxiety this was a kid from an unfortunate background which drove him to activity to violent to all kinds of much more difficult things but it's Often those moments, those little moments that we can miss when a child sees something out the window and then looks at you. And if you notice what they're looking at, something changes in the world because we're sharing something. 
Mm. Well, it's lovely when you think that somebody's interested in you. And actually, some of my most memorable moments with both my mum and my dad were really simple moments, sitting on the sofa watching a, a movie with her or, you know, working on the farm in Italy with my dad. Mm. Those are the things I remember. And I often say that to myself, you know, when my children say, oh, I don't know, can you tuck me in tonight, even though I might be tired? Because it's important to them, because it shows that I'm there for them. But also, it's not always about the sort of bigger and better activities. I remember years ago when I worked at The Independent, one of my colleagues, this was way before I'd had children, and she came in and every week she'd be so frustrated because her daughter didn't want to do the piano lesson. And she said, I just can't get her interested in it. And I wish I'd had piano lessons. And I said, but isn't that what this is about? Don't you want the piano lessons? And she said, yes, I do. I never had them. And I said, well, why don't you have them now? (laughs) So she did. But you see, I didn't have kids. I was completely removed. And I thought, this is really obvious that you want to learn the piano. You're forcing her. You're really frustrated. But she doesn't want them. And you do. Always is with children, isn't it? Separating out our stuff and what's their stuff and that can be really difficult if you haven't if you're maybe not that aware of what your kind of anxieties are absolutely it's really difficult to separate it out of course and we all I think nearly every parent in a way is trying to make up for what they didn't get and compensate in some way we all have complicated experiences of one kind even the luckiest of us in our own childhoods and I think what you're pointing out is something really really God, you were incredibly perceptive then, weren't you, Annalisa? And that's a really, really helpful thing to have pointed out. And then, in a way, it's really difficult time, I think, to be a parent. So I think probably, certainly my parents' generation, and I suspect yours as well, there wasn't a thing about good parenting or bad parenting. If you were in an environment where there was love and affection and laughter and interest and curiosity, that was enough. And certainly for, in my day, it was like, okay, you've had your breakfast now, off you go and see you at tea time. And... That could be dangerous, but there was something in that trust as well in a child being a child, which was really, really important. And I think it's a really, really, really tough time to be a parent in many ways, where there's so much anxiety. I mean, goodness, going through COVID and trying to home educate has been hard, hard for so many, so many parents. And we so want the best for our kids that we can put on pressure, which is not really helpful. And again, it partly comes from underestimating what kids really need and want. What they really need and want is those things that you're talking about. Being tucked up at bedtime and somebody showing interest and how are you feeling and did you have any good dreams or what was the most interesting thing that happened today or that was a big smile or that was a big sigh. Those sorts of very, very little things that make you feel that you can be with yourself and understand yourself. And like yourself, I guess, because I am going to go back to something I said earlier, which more and more what you're speaking, I think makes sense to me but I think that if you're doing it for someone else maybe the reason it doesn't last the motivation is because on some level you know it's not about you and if it is always for something else for an external thing I wonder if that can get quite tiring because as you're talking about all the ways to not do stuff I'm thinking if I were the child I'd be thinking but what about me what about me what about what I want what about what I like And maybe there's a bit of a rebellion that happens after a while. I think there is. And I think people are finding this in business as well and in organisations where where the top-down management thing hasn't worked, that the kind of pressure to perform is not only tiring, but it's very, very stressful. And stress kills off creativity and stress kills off motivation. You have to feel at ease, light, 
and safe safe exactly safe and people showing interest in you in order to find motivation we really all want motivated children and i think there's also something that can be slightly lazy so if we if we think maybe lazy is the wrong word but a kid needs to be helped to see at times that there's this thing called the growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset a researcher called carol dweck has written about this a lot and if we try to tell our kids that they're great whatever then they will become lazy because they won't try anything which might undermine that idea of them being great. But what we want is to is to help them trust that the most important thing is that they do what they want to do or interested in, but also that they they are trying and that they that their mot- the motivation is to kind of get it better next time. One of the most fascinating things, interestingly, is some very early research about children's play is that you put bunch of um, complicated mechanical contraptions in front of the kids and you say can you take it apart and put it together again and often the youngest kids who are actually least capable of doing it are omnipotently believing that they can do this which we might think is a bad thing but actually what it shows is actually I really want to do things and I need to be able to fail and then keep trying and it's the kids that almost had the most omnipotent ridiculous expectation of their capacities who tried and tried and tried again until they could fulfill some of these tasks. Whereas the kids who had a more realistic idea of their capacities, in fact, were the ones who gave up earlier. So there's another lesson there in terms of motivation, I think, which is that you have to have some belief that it's worth trying and failing and trying and failing. And I think it's the same for parents, really, that we have to help our kids, help children, and same for teachers, same for therapists, that actually it's not about getting things right. It's about things going a bit wrong and finding a way of repairing them. And that's where growth and development and motivation comes from. I see so many kids both on, on two sides of the spectrum. One, kids who've come from backgrounds of maybe abuse and trauma or stress or neglect, who stop trying because they expect to fail and they don't want to be seen to fail. Or those whose kids who are told that actually they're just wonderful then they don't want to try because they might fail. And then what happens to the wonderful Well, they don't want to lose their five-star rating, Exactly, exactly. And the thing I learned a few years ago from speaking to people like you is that failure is absolutely essential for development. And those children who are never allowed to fail or who, I don't know, their parents do their homework for them because they're so scared of them not getting A stars. We've become terribly afraid of failure. And I I always try and say to my children, it doesn't always feel nice, but you develop in those gaps. You build a bridge until the next thing. Because no one likes to fail. No one likes to come out of an exam and go, hey, I failed, I'm really pleased. No, but we could sort of build that. And I think it's not just kids, it's the parents as well. All of us in whatever we're doing. If we know that actually we're trying and we get it a bit wrong. If I say something to a kid or an adult in therapy or a friend and it's not quite right, I can feel stupid and I can feel embarrassed and I can hold my head in shame or I can try to make it better by trying to work out what I did that wasn't quite right. And that's a brilliant thing because that means we can retrieve situations, we can come back and try again, you know, we can get up off the floor and have another go. And that's what gives rise to motivation because you know that you've got it in you to keep mm-hmm. trying. What I really hope from this podcast is that no parent feels at all that they've done anything wrong. That it's really, really important that the parent blaming isn't part of this. A, I want parents and anybody working with children 
to not underestimate the importance of them as human beings that we can afford to make mistakes. And actually, it's quite fun and exciting, you know, when the Jenga thing all crashes down again. But we can do it again. We can start again. Mm. And that's where growth and development and motivation comes from. Can we go back to the school thing? Because obviously motivation affects adults as well. But given that this is about predominantly children, you have a child who's at school who has to fit into a curriculum, which is maybe boring for them and sort of seemingly kind of crushes their creativity. How do you spark that curiosity and joy? How do you keep that part, what we're talking about, alive alongside them being at school and having to do certain things? You mean as a parent or as a teacher? As a parent. It's similar but different. What's really hard for a teacher under pressure with 33 kids in their class is to pay individual attention, which is what so many of these kids need who aren't motivated. A lot of it comes from lack of confidence, actually. And this idea that you should be really, really good at something. If I'm really brilliant at, say, maths and science, but I'm not very good at spelling, I might stop trying because I like to be brilliant. And so there's several bits to this. But one is one is just paying attention to the child's and their worries and their interests and hearing from them what they like and don't like and why they don't like it because that might give clues and often it comes down to a lack of confidence and starting in small tiny incremental ways and the little tiny steps are really really crucial and important you don't need a five star in spelling or whatever it is in maths or in my case I absolutely hated maths and was so scared of failing that I didn't really try. Ditto. So it's these little tiny incremental steps. I've done a lot of work with, for example, adoptive parents over the years. And one of the things I find is that it's hard for them to accept that the children that they've adopted aren't like the, the other kids in their class because they might not have the same social skills or they might not be doing quite so well academically. And a lot of what we have to do is stay with those kids, their thoughts, feelings, anxieties, worries and hopes also watch for tiny little baby signs wow that was incredible you paid attention for 10 seconds then that's twice as long as you could last week and that will motivate rather than well you only pay attention for 20 seconds and the other kids can do it for 10 minutes Mm -hmm. that is not helpful at all the compare thing is a really really bad thing and we're living in a society which does a lot of comparing increasingly these days with things like social media and also a more unequal society where we're always measuring ourselves up against somebody else's yardstick. And so actually saying, right, this for you is just brilliant or to an adoptive parent or any parent, this is brilliant that your kid has managed this because they couldn't manage that before. So let's just stay with that and build it one tiny little step at a time because that's how motivation takes root and that's how capacities develop. If you're at home and your child is having to learn loads of facts about Tudor history and they find it mind-numbingly boring, and I mean, I've been there with subjects that just don't go in, whereas when I'm researching an article that I'm really interested in, I'm amazed at my brain capacity. Yeah. I mean, the way I approach it with my children when they're open to it is because I have a really good memory. I remember what it was like at school. I try and find little hooks that interest them. Now, sometimes they don't want my input and I always let them do their own homework. But I might say, this guy was really interested. You know, he made a speech during the war. Let's look up just five minutes. Let's look up about his home life. And then we'll say, 
He had a really difficult relationship with his dad. I wonder what that was like. I wonder if that's what spurred him on. And sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. And then dinner has to be cooked or I'm on a yeah. deadline. You know, but I think it's it's really difficult because I think the way children are taught is such a box ticking exercise. And it's so tunnel visioned as well. It's increasingly box ticking. It's increasingly tunnel visioned and it's increasingly exam oriented so again, extrinsic as opposed to intrinsic. Mm. And I think that's a real, real problem. And, you know, you can make the most boring things interesting, can't you? I mean, I got caught speeding at 23 miles an hour the other month and had to go, had to, go to one of those speed awareness tests. Yeah. I dreaded it. It was the most brilliant morning. <laughs> Everyone so- I know who's done them says it's, they're brilliant. Yeah. But, you know, that is the skill of the teacher and getting everybody interested and finding some way of bringing things alive. If it's just about performing, getting grades and getting marks and being judged, well, that's not good, right? That That is not going to motivate. So I suppose what you're saying is that if you can spend like just five minutes trying to find out what it is that does interest them or doesn't, or how you might be able to make it more interesting or talking around a subject, that definitely, in my experience, that definitely helps. But what about if your child is really interested in something that you don't think is healthy or might even be dangerous. So what I hear a lot of is parents who are really worried that their children either play lots on the Xbox or on sort of what they consider to be really vacuous YouTube videos, which are all about people being famous for being famous, which sort of seems to perpetuate this thing that you don't have to do very much. Or I don't know, it doesn't seem about discovering themselves. But what about if they're just interested in that? Is that good? Is that okay? I think you know the answer to that question. (laughs) It's not good and it's not okay and it's a worry. And I think I'd start by wondering, well, why is my child interested in just being famous and looking good and having the right body or those sorts of things? Because, again, those are absolute clear signs of extrinsic motivation. And I think that one thing research has shown over the years is there's a very, very high correlation between... People who are more extrinsically motivated, in other words, I want buy things like I want to be famous, be rich, have the best clothes, best car, those sorts of things. And just about every single psychiatric mental health issue going. There's an absolutely clear correlation. There's a guy called Casser who researched this some years ago. If you're really interested in only in being famous or being the best, that's a sign that something isn't feeling quite right inside. And it might be a sign that that child needs a different kind of attention and that instead of driving them, possibly we can just stop and pay them a different kind of attention. Such as? Going for a walk with them, playing games with them, reading to them, whatever it might be that you can find, as you said, you might need a a hook of some kind, but also letting them know that they're okay as they are, irrespective of what other people think of them. So we know that if you want to be just famous and the best, that's pretty well always a sign of insecurity of some kind. Mm. And so what we then can pay attention to is is that insecurity, which often won't be easy for a child to admit to, of course. I've not met a child yet like that we couldn't help in some way feel better about who they are. And it's nearly always the kids from the most complex backgrounds or struggling the most who, more than the other kids, want the best trainers and the, and the coolest clothes and the best jewellery and all of those things. But often they are really lacking in, in what they need inside to make themselves feel good about themselves. 
they haven't been held in mind, thought about properly, they haven't been cared about. I'm talking about the most extreme cases, but if we can redress that balance a little bit by giving ordinary attention, by not having phones at the table when we're trying to eat, by getting them to join in activities together, by ordinarily showing interest. And that means the adults not being on their phones, and the adults not being hyper-preoccupied or, or, or too anxious. It means looking after ourselves and finding ways of, of us being looked after as well in order to be there for, the, for our children. I'm starting to get slightly anxious because I feel like you're describing me. <laughs> so, and, and I think I'm really quite... I think I'm a good mum because I really try and I'm really thoughtful. I know I'm making mistakes, yeah. but I'm I'm really thoughtful about it. And I have been saving up since my children were little for their therapy fund. But if someone's listening and thinks, I do all of that, I'm distracted, I'm on the phone, I don't think I've paid enough attention to my child, they're, you know, they're head down into YouTube. It's not too late, is it? It's never, ever, ever, ever too late. I mean... I've got a patient who's 82 who's making great strides in his life. It's never too late. It doesn't take much sometimes. Sometimes it's making a little bit of a commitment to not have the phones on the table, to spend a little bit of family time or to play a game together or just commit to asking the right question or just showing a particular kind of interest. These little things grow into big things. A tree doesn't start as a tree. It starts as a little tiny seed. And that's what we're trying to grow and water and fertilise and give the right environment. Graeme, you and I have spoken in the past about daydreaming and how important it is. And I spent an enormous amount of my childhood daydreaming. And I don't know where I got this idea from, but I remember once thinking to myself that daydreaming was really important and I would never regret it. And I feel like in those early years, I used to lie on the windowsill. We had really big windowsills and look up the road. We lived in central London, so there was always things to look at. I feel like I really fed my brain at a very early stage by daydreaming. Is daydreaming good? Well, I think there's two different kinds of daydreaming. What's differentiate one, the child who's staring into space because they've cut off from the world because it feels too much. And you're more likely to see that in a very anxious child or a child who's been very traumatised, for example. So I don't think that's what you're asking about. No. Just be aware that 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 is a state that some children can get into. And we have to be aware of that as well. But there's something about ordinary being, boredom. So there's whole circuitry in our brain, which actually encompasses a range of different brain areas. It's called the default mode network. It only comes online and it starts firing like crazy when you stop trying to do anything. So if you pay attention, there's an attentional network that comes online. We need that at times. But I think we maybe over push that in our culture. When you stop trying and it feels like nothing is going on, actually extraordinary amount is going on in the brain, which brings things together, enhances capacities for self-understanding, particularly for creativity. I don't think we value that enough and nearly all the best things like the best inventions come from somebody not trying to find them whatever it might be there's a wonderful discovery of something called mirror neurons where the researchers were trying to understand a particular neuron in the brain to involve with it in motor movement so they wired up the the monkeys poor monkeys brains and when they reached out 
the machine made a noise. And in the lunch break, the researcher reached out for a peanut. And when he reached out for a peanut, the same noise went off. In other words, the same neuron had fired in the monkey's brain. Mm. Which meant that actually this extraordinary discovery that there's a whole network in our brains which fires up when we see somebody else do something. How often do you get stuck on a piece, for example, and then go for a walk or do something completely different, come back and actually it just flows in that moment? Yeah, so all there's the some, time. Exactly. So it's something, and we don't do enough of this. And actually the pressure that kids are under will fuel this attentional network and other networks and also fuel parts of the brain to do with anxiety and stress and lack of confidence, actually. Whereas sometimes just being able to be and daydreaming. And I think the other thing I'd add to the equation as well that kids don't do enough of is pure physical activity, which is the thing that grows new neurons in the brain more than almost anything. We really need playfulness and we need boredom and we need the ability to muse and no great poem was written because somebody was standing behind their back with a stick. You mentioned earlier about if you do this, then you'll get people who, no matter what they do, it's never enough. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, I'm really hard on myself and I'm constantly thinking, oh my God, I've done nothing. And I have to remind myself, I have to get my cheerleader out to balance my inner critic and say, well, you did this or you did that or you spoke to that person or... What's that about and how can I do something about it? <laughs> These expectations come from somewhere. And whether the right question is what's that about or what, where do we go with that now? The kind of things you're talking about, I think, are really important. In psychoanalysis, we call it a superego, that kind of internal critic that you're describing, which can be saying, be careful or I'm going to get you. You're not good enough or you're making me feel upset or mm. those sorts of things. They are very, very powerful. So we want to be motivated without the need for that whip, that stick and carrot, as it were. We all have our own personal reasons for this. So there's an old, so as you have an Italian heritage and I have some Jewish heritage, I can tell you a joke, which is, what's the difference between an Italian mother and a Jewish mother? And the Italian mother says, eat your dinner or I'll kill you. And the Jewish mother says, eat your dinner or I'll kill myself. But either way, <laughs> either way, you don't want that really. You want to say you want them to eat the dinner because they've got appetite for it. Graham, thank you so much. That was absolutely fascinating. Lots and lots to think about. And I also want to take this opportunity to personally thank you for putting so much of yourself in your book, Respark, because I think that was a really brave thing to do. But I think that absolutely made the book. So thank you. Thanks to Graham for such an interesting conversation. You can find out more about him, his books and his work by going to his website, nurturingnatures.co.uk. One thing I really want to stress is that I often feel a bit shit about myself after conversations such as these, looking at all the things I think I've done wrong or could have done better. But listen, you're here trying to learn and being thoughtful and you probably came here to learn how to better understand your child and that's amazing so don't feel bad about yourself. But if all this has piqued your interest in children's emotional development, either because perhaps you want to understand a bit more about your own childhood or your child's, Graham's Nurturing Nature book is often held up by other child psychotherapists as a must-read. You may notice Graham mentioned Carol Dweck, and her book is called Mindset, Changing the Way You Fulfill Your Potential. In case you missed it and want to read more about it, Graham also mentions something called Default Load Network in the bit where we are talking about daydreaming. 
That's the part of your brain that really fires up when you stop trying to do anything, which is why we often have our best ideas when we leave our desks. The series is produced by Hester Kant. The music is by Toby Dunham and our artwork is by Low Cole. Follow us on Instagram at Pocket Annalisa or you can email us at conversationswithannalisa at gmail.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, it would mean a lot if you could share it with someone you think might like it and also give us a review on iTunes. Please join us again next time. Hello, this is Annalisa. I started doing this podcast because it's an idea I really believe in. So much so that I decided to put my money where my mouth is and self-fund the project. I really want to keep releasing this podcast for free. So if you enjoy this episode, a way you can help is to visit our ACAST supporter page and give what you can. You'll find the link in the episode description. Thank you.